So we're going to be reading in Luke 2, 8 to 20. And we're picking up this passage right after Jesus was born. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, the Messiah. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So today, I'd like to do my little part in spoiling Christmas for you. Um, at least Christmas as you know it. And to do this, I'm going to give you a test. Who here is a student on break from school? Yeah, so you're going to have a little bit of, hopefully not too much trauma from having a test right after you got on break here. So I hope to not stir that up in you. We're going to do a true, we're going to do a question. Some of them are true, false. Some of them are multiple choice. We'll see how we do. So true or false, as long as Christmas has been celebrated, it has been on December 25th. False. That's right. Uh, Christmas was not set to December 25th till Constantine in 325, who was the first uh, Roman governor who converged Christianity back in the day. Uh, and it wasn't really mainstream celebrated on the 25th until about the 9th century. So you got that one. That's kind of a, you know it's going to be the one that you don't think, you think it is, right? They get a little harder, though, as they go. So, number two. How did Mary and Joseph travel to Bethlehem? Was it by camel? By walking? By donkey? By Uber or Lyft? Yeah, it's one of those jokes you laugh at as a courtesy laugh. Um, <laughs> People don't have to be truly funny in church to get a laugh, I found. It's great, you know? People are so nice in church. Um, Joseph walked and Mary rode the donkey. So which of these options do you think it was? The last one. Um, the answer is we don't know. It actually doesn't say how they got there. And thinking about a nine-month pregnant woman riding a donkey, that's pretty tough on both those creatures, you know? Um, person and animal. So it's hard, hard to picture that, but that's something we kind of believe about the Christmas story that's not actually in the Bible. It's interesting. All right, number three. Jesus was delivered in a, a stable, a manger, a cave, a barn, or unknown. Yeah, I would have thought cave too, but actually, to be technical, Jesus was delivered in Bethlehem, but the Bible never clearly says if he was born in a stable, cave, or barn. In Luke 2.7, all it says was Jesus was born and then laid, laid in a manger. 
Interesting. So we don't actually know where that was. We just know he was laid in the manger after he was born. I'm trying to ruin it for you. That's the whole point of this fun quiz. All right, so actually the manger scene is going to start being destroyed. Let's go over here. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Oh, man. So we take, I'm not going to take away the stable. We'll just pretend that's okay. It's possible. All right. Which animals does the Bible say were present at Jesus' birth? Very important question. A, cows, sheep, and goats. B, cows, donkeys, and sheep. C, sheep and goats only. D, miscellaneous barnyard animals. <laughs> or E, lions, tigers, and elephants. Or F, none of the above. Yeah, it's none of the above. It doesn't say. <laughs> Listen. You kind of get the point here. There's a lot of things about Christmas that we sort of just assume from looking at Hallmark cards and reading books. It's just in the popular the mindset of everybody. This is what we know about Christmas. We know everything. Um, but in all, in all reality, the, uh, the, place where, the place where they were was probably the bottom level of a house, which was kind of like a cave, you know, uh, dirt ground. And it would be a place where animals were sometimes kept, but not regularly. So there was a um, a manger in there in case there were animals down there, but no, no animals were present that we know of. Number five is a silly one just to ease the tension here. The baby Jesus cried when the doctor slapped him on the behind, when the little drummer boy started banging on the drum, or just like other babies cry, or he never cried. Which one? Never, never cried, that's right. We have these weird songs that talk about little Lord Jesus not making noises. I think we got a problem if a baby's not making noises. A serious problem. So I, I hope that he did make some noise. How many wise men came to see Jesus, the Magi? Anyone know? We don't know. I mean, there could have been three, but maybe there was just one, you know? I don't know. We assume there's three because there were three gifts, but it doesn't actually say. In Matthew 2.1, it just says that some magi from the east showed up. Two or more. Some, yeah. So yeah, that's correct. Two or more. Good point. It could be three. So you see, we spoiled Christmas. Just for you. So for the next one, I'd like, uh, Carrie, if you could go back to the scripture that we read this morning. The first thing, I'm not going to tell you what the question is, but we're going to read this text again, and then I'm going to ask you the question and see if you get the answer correct. You have to read very carefully, okay? So I'm going to ask you a question as soon as this is done being read. So pay careful attention. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared, 
with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord had told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So I figure you probably all paid good attention to that, knowing there's a question coming. So here's the question. Besides the obvious of having a place to put an infant, why was Jesus placed in the manger according to this text? Why? As a sign. That's good. That's really good. As a sign to the shepherds that Jesus, who was who the angel said he was, that's why he was put into a manger. Listen to this in verse 12. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then in verse 16, So the shepherds hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And only after they saw the sign confirmed that the angels had shared with them did they go about testifying about who Jesus was. They needed to see the sign. They needed to see the baby in the manger. This stuff is endlessly, endlessly fascinating to me. They saw the sign and it opened up their eyes. They saw the sign. Some of you 90s kids. Well, Ace of base for you. The manger was a sign to the shepherds. But what is a sign? A sign is something that points to something beyond itself. So what was this baby lying in a manger? The sign pointing to, ultimately. I've adapted this, this illustration uh, from, from, from another uh, author, but I think this is such a good illustration. I love my children. I do. Um, I ask them to pick something up off the floor, and they immediately protest that it was not them who left it out. And um, to which I reply, I pick up hundreds of things every day that I didn't leave out. And so then I, I, I say, you know, pick that up. And they say, what? And I point at it, and they stare at my finger, not looking where I'm pointing, just saying, what? I don't see it. I don't see it anywhere. It's like a pile of Legos. I'm pointing to it. They're just staring at my finger. And I'm like, stop looking at my finger and turn around and look to where I'm pointing and then pick up the Legos. You know, likewise, in our story this morning, the angel shares, share, the angel shares with the shepherds a sign, the baby lying in a manger. And today, we need to turn around from that manger and look at where that sign was pointing to. It's a really, really uh, awesome thing to ask. And that answer to that question of what that manger was pointing to, what the baby in the manger was pointing to, is found uh, right after the talk about the sign in Luke 2, 10 to 11. The angel says, again, how many angels was that? Just one at first, then the host joined later. There you go, see? Reckon it. But the angel said in Luke 2, 10 to 11, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. 
Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And then as the result of this this birth, in verse 14, the heavenly host appears, and they sing glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The the manger, the baby in the manger is pointing to this, uh, this great news. And I know this is a story that we all know. I know that there's a temptation to kind of go on autopilot. And maybe it's even a boring story to you at this point. But it's an amazing story. Just pause for a moment and consider the magnitude of what is being said about this baby lying in the manger. The baby lying in the manger was a sign that God used so the shepherds would know that Jesus was the correct baby. And this sign of Jesus lying in the manger was pointing to the truth of what the angel said about Jesus. That his birth would signify, you can pull this up, Carrie. The birth of Jesus would signify good news. Good news. Which is actually the literal translation of what gospel means. Good news of, of victory. That it's good news, gospel. That the birth of Jesus, the baby in the manger, would point to great joy for all the people. That the birth of Jesus is pointing to this truth that a Savior has been born to us. Which, which means a deliverer, a preserver, someone who preserves and delivers the people. That the baby in the manger is pointing to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, which is, uh, which is the Hebrew word for Christ. Christ, isn't, turns out, isn't Jesus' last name. It's just the Greek word for, for Messiah. And that means the anointed one, the bringer of justice and peace, the one who will bring justice and peace. The baby in the manger points to the fact that Jesus is the Lord, the master of all, the deciding power, and the owner of all things. And the results of this good news is glory to God. Glory to God. And earth, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace to those with whom he is pleased and delighted. That's what that translation of that favor word means. This is the good news. In order to understand uh, this, this, these titles given to Jesus, and we'll leave this up on the screen, uh, we, we need to understand the context of where Jesus was born into. And for that, I have a, a small passage from a book uh, by N.T. Wright. I'm very thankful to have as a resource. And he writes about the, the climate in which Jesus was born. I want you to listen very carefully. This is verified from uh, many different uh, histories that have been written, secular and, and, and otherwise, Uh, So this is common knowledge in academia. We have to assume that the shepherds, like other Palestinian Jews at the time, would have known what a Savior, a Messiah, and a Lord was to do. In case we need reminding, Luke introduces this story by telling us about Augustus Caesar, way off in Rome at the height of his power. Remember, Augustus Caesar called for the census to be taken. Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar, He became sole ruler of the Roman world after a bloody civil war in which he overpowered all rival claimants. The last to be destroyed was the famous Mark Antony, who committed suicide not long after his defeat at the Battle of Acticum in 31 BC. Augustus turned the great Roman Republic into an empire with himself as the head. Listen to this. He proclaimed that he he had brought justice and peace to the whole world. That's Messiah stuff. So this ruler claimed he brought justice and peace. He declared that his dead adopted father was God and that he was the son of God. Yeah, 
Poets wrote songs about the new era that had begun. Historians told the long story of Rome's rise to greatness, reaching its climax with Augustus himself. Augustus said he was the savior of the world. That's what he said. He was its king, its lord. Increasingly, in the eastern part of his empire, people worshipped him as God. You might have heard about this idea in Western Civ, the Roman peace, Pax Romana, enforced by the power of the sword. So he, he was the bringer of peace. Meanwhile, far away on that same eastern frontier, a boy was born who would within a generation be hailed as the Son of God, whose followers would speak of him as the Savior and the Lord, whose arrival, they thought, had brought true justice and peace to the world. The point Luke is making is clear. The birth of this little boy is the beginning of a confrontation between the kingdom of God and all of its apparent weakness and vulnerability. Think about baby born in around a stable. And the kingdoms of the world, a clash of kingdoms. Augustus never heard of Jesus of Nazareth, but within a century or so, his successors in Rome had not only heard of Jesus, they were taking steps to obliterate his followers. Within just over three centuries, the emperor himself became a Christian. This is something we're going to be talking about for the month of January, the kingdom of God in this world that we live in, and how it's, it's the story of a, a kingdom within a world system that is contrary to the way the world is going, with a different Savior, a different Lord, a different Messiah. And while the shepherds heralded that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, was born, and peace on whom his favor rests, Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace. I actually brought, came to bring the sword. And he didn't, didn't mean that in a violent way. He meant that there would be a separation that happened when he came, where family members and people would need to make a hard decision about whose kingdom they were following. And it's going to be, uh, and, and just like in Jesus' life, it was a kingdom of peace. There's a lot of talk in our country and in our world about very weighty things, politics and money and people who seemingly have large amounts of power. And I know that many in our country feel that everything depends on who is president, who's on the Supreme Court, how the economy is doing, how secure we are from external threats. And that's, that's fine and good for us to care about those things. We should care about our country and seek its good and use whatever power we have as citizens to make whatever positive changes we can in our country. I love Jeremiah 29.7 that says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. That's kind of my rule of thumb. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So while all of this is good and true, being good citizens, never forget that the kingdom of God on earth that Jesus' manger pointed to as a sign, which started as a very small and very vulnerable situation, has now grown in fame and influence far outside the borders of any manger or country. I had to give you a history lesson or a reminder lesson on Western Civ about ancient Rome so you can even remember it, right? But at the time, Rome was basically all-powerful, all-conquering. Everybody knew Rome. In more recent history, remember in World War II, when Germany, the Nazis, were conquesting the world, country after country, falling, Poland, Denmark, Norway, Belgium, the Netherlands, Luxembourg, France, Yugoslavia, and Greece, all in the matter of about four years. And this was only how many years ago? 80 years ago. 
So now what about, what about them, huh? What about the Nazis? They're, they're a sad, a very sad, and a brutal, horrible memory of history. But Jesus' kingdom perseveres across borders, across cultures, races. It's a kingdom without borders. And in the advent of Jesus coming into the world, into the manger, there were no land attacks, there were no naval attacks, there were no air raids. Jesus' followers put away their swords at his insistence. They prayed for and forgave their enemies. And ultimately, the baby Jesus grew to be the man Jesus, who did not even defend himself when he was falsely accused and ultimately executed on a Roman cross, which was intended to put an end to all rival messiahs to Rome. Jesus, peacefully, without defending himself, put to death on a Roman cross for daring to be a rival to Caesar. And yet, three days later, without violence, by the Spirit of God, Jesus rose again from the dead, ascended to heaven, and sent his Spirit to his followers so that his kingdom of peace could continue to advance in this world. And it has in every part of the world. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's why the Lord instructed his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. This is not only about a final end to history. This is about our lives. This is about our day to day. God, let your kingdom come in my life. Your rule and reign. This is good news. Great joy for all the people. The Savior was born He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. And on earth, peace to whom his favor rests. This is the good news. I'm going to end with Colossians 3, 15 to 17. It says this, that the peace of Christ, and by the way, in John 14, Jesus, when he left, he said, my peace I leave you, my peace I give unto you, do not be afraid. And this was talking about how the Holy Spirit was going to come into his people after he ascended into heaven. My peace I'm leaving with you. Listen to this. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Jesus came in a manger as a signpost pointing to the reality that the kingdom of God was at hand. Jesus came to be a friend of sinners. If you're here this morning and you feel like you're just not the sort of religious type of person, you are the person that Jesus would probably hang out with. Jesus came as a friend of sinners. He spent so much time with non-religious people that people gossiped about him. That's who he spent his time with. And Jesus came so that we, each of us can be part of his global kingdom and the work that he's doing. You know, and to continue the ministry on earth of reconciling the world to himself. So when we pray for peace, in other words, in the kingdom of God, 
we must then become part, at least part of the answer to that prayer. Expecting to be used by God to accomplish what God, we've pleaded with God to do, to be agents of peace. In the kingdom of God, though small, though vulnerable, remember King Herod put to death, this is what the kingdoms of the world do, put to death all the babies that he, assumed, he thought were around the age of Christ just to see if he could obliterate him. Um, vulnerable kingdom. This small mustard seed of a kingdom has grown into what it is today. A global move of the Holy Spirit of God across the whole world. And the empires of this world are fading memories. Painful memories, some of them. But Christ's kingdom endures. So the invitation today is to come, to come to the Lord. Um, if, if, if you feel like it's, it's an insurmountable task to be in relationship with God, Jesus came to make a way for you to come to God through his own body. When he died on the cross, he, he tore the curtain that separated people from the most holy presence of God in the temple as a symbol that anyone can come to God through Jesus Christ's sacrifice for them. Your worth is completely determined by this idea that Jesus died for you. Um, anyone can become part of this kingdom. And as we become part of followers of Jesus, as we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, as we let the message of Christ dwell within us, as we pray for and seek peace and become the answer to those prayers we pray that God uses to bring peace in this world, the kingdom of God comes and we see God's rule and reign exerted in all of its apparent weakness but later becoming a tree that's so large that the birds of the air can find their home in them. This is the kingdom of God. Please join me in prayer as the worship team comes forward. Heavenly Father, we are, are thankful that you did not passively wait for us to somehow get our act together but you came as a sign that each of us, through Christ, can become a part of the work that you are continuing to do in this world. I pray that this Christmas season, as we consider Jesus in a manger, that we'd remember that he, he grew up. He lived a full life of 30 years following you, ministering before you and demonstrating and exemplifying the very kingdom that he preached. And that he went as far as to give up his life to death on a cross without even defending himself, just to show us how great your love is for humanity. Bring us deep conviction, Father, as we consider the sign of that you pointed to in the manger. The kingdom of God is at hand. We pray that in this season at our church we would see the signs of your kingdom around us, of hope rising up, of people coming to know your love for them, even physical healing and deliverance, of unity in the body of Christ, of deep fellowship, binding us together as a family. God, we thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name.